On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia. Shirley means a burden uh, that you carry. It used to be like a swag, another name for a swag. Uh, but it also, uh, the way I look at it, is the same way as Darcy Nyland, who wrote the book for Shirley, says that it's, a, it's some sort of burden that you carry. Yes. And then when you reach the end of your journey and you find a place, it gives you uh, peace and contentment when you open it up. Where's the word come from? Is it an Irish word or...? It sounds Irish. I always, I always just love the sound of the word. I can't, help, I can't help you. I've just looked it up in the dictionary um, of unknown origin. Although, yeah. as you say, it means a swag and first used in Australia in 1892 by a bloke called Parker, and obviously they're burying a swaggy mm -hmm. because it says, let him down easy and slow, drop in his shirley and water bag by him. Beulah River, tell me about Beulah River. Well, Beulah is a town in Victoria and it doesn't have a river. Um, uh, but I, decide, I decided to give it one. Why not? Um, Beulah, again, is the promised land. And um, Beulah, the word Beulah, there's a town up there too called Bronzewing, which is the most wonderful name for me. How are you putting a song, Bronzewing? It's like a there's a Bronzewing pigeon, isn't it? Isn't there a Bronzewing? Yes, so. It's a protected species in Tasmania, the Bronzewing pigeon. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books. As Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On, on you, Trev. Then Turak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. My week starts with Macca on a exactly. Sunday morning. Good morning, wherever you are. Lovely to have your company. If you've just got up, you've missed some... Lovely Australians talking about all sorts of stuff. Yeah, just, I just really enjoy talking to people of, uh, I, I find it hard to describe. If I sat down and thought about it, I could write something. But um, just ordinary Australians, ordinary Australians who are just fabulous. Uh, we'll take you to... Um, Winton this morning. Last week we mentioned uh, I was at the Banjo Patterson thing at Yeovil where they unveiled a, a, a statue to Banjo, and and I'm not sure a lot of you know younger Australians know much about Banjo. Certainly, probably don't do him at school. Maybe they do. I'm not sure. But um, but anyway, we were in uh, Winton in 1995. I've been going through my back pages and looking at. Uh, I just love that too, reading the letters. Mostly letters because 95, you're still getting letters. We'd get, as I said, we'd probably get about 50, 60 letters a week, um, depending. Sometimes you get more if there was something they wanted a, a copy of, uh, listeners wanted a copy of. But anyway, we'll take you to uh, Winton. Um, a couple of little grabs from our outside broadcast at Winton in 95, which was the centenary of Waltzing Matilda, and the song Waltzing Matilda was written up there in 1895. Uh, um, so we'll uh, we'll take you to that. It's nice to go back and have a listen to what we were doing in, yeah, that's a while ago, isn't it? Um, 95, that's uh, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. There you go. Um, and we'll talk to you. We've got some uh, a lovely all-over news. Stay tuned for the all-over news. We'll, go, we'll take you on the silo trail, which is, again, you'll meet some interesting people. On the silo trail, but our number is thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two, and I'd love to talk to you wherever you are, whatever you're up to. Um, we might <laughs> we'll talk about modern art too this morning. Not in any way. Someone will mention modern art. I would never dare to get into modern art. Um, 
Anyway, this is a, this is a postcard, a lovely postcard from Japan. It says, um, G'day, Maka. I thought you'd enjoy this image of some travellers from another culture, Japan all over. And the, it says here, Passers-by caught in shower at Shoya by Hiro, Hiroshi Hiroshing Ando. Um Series of 53 stages on Takeda Highway, Okier, and it's got some little possums walking along the highway. In that, you know, the Japanese art, it's sort of like um, calligraphy and it's lovely, beautiful colour, too. Anyway, uh, g'day, Maka. Yeah, um, another image from Japan. This is Gary living in Nagoya and working at an international school. I first left, left Oz in 2000. Your stories, songs, and characters. Uh, and the characters you chat to bring me back home every Sunday. Isn't that nice? Bring me back home every Sunday. My sister Susan on the Gold Coast listens to you sitting in the garden on your Macca. There you go. And some three little stamps, Nippon stamps. There you go. Uh, from Rick Kemp, who's our, he's our sunrise and sunset uh, correspondent, he says the sunrise times have now retreated back past those of pre daylight saving change over time at the beginning of October. They are now fast approaching those of the spring equinox. The reason put forward for daylight saving was to harvest the morning sunlight and that has now gone. Meanwhile, the sunset times are rapidly changing to an earlier time each day. So what is the purpose of having daylight saving now? Daylight saving is little more than a human-created folly that masks the drift into autumn, so why keep persisting with it? Time to return to standard time and enjoy the drift from summer into autumn as it should be. Well, I think it was because it used to be four weeks and then Tasmania said, oh, no, we want it for six weeks, um, six months rather. So uh, it was the tail wagging the dog and that's all very well. But yes, it's I can sort of understand if they want it for four months, like November, December, January, February, but then it should be gone. It should definitely be gone, but there's no spine. Oh, no, we've got to make everybody the same. So, yes, we'll follow Tasmania. Duh, really? Mark Hodnot says, my name is Mark Hodnot. Um, I've been a member of Wyong community for 60 years, and I'm writing to let you know of a matter that causes me great pain and anxiety for our community. For almost 100 years, the Wyong showground was owned and run by the Wyong Agricultural Society as a shared-use facility for agriculture sporting and general community use. This also included a valuable community activity of thoroughbred horse racing. In 2014, under the direction of Racing New South Wales, the Board of Wyong Agricultural Society Incorporated, by then with a name change to Wyong Race Club Incorporated, appointed an administrator to the company, dismissed the local board, appointed a new board and changed the constitution to write out any reference to any activity except horse racing. There you go. Um, and we're so disappointed, says Mark Hodnot. Mark, there's nothing I can do, but I certainly can mention it, and that's just what I did. Uh, and this is from, quickly and finally, from Noel, Noel Brooks. He says, Macca, would you be so kind as to email me back with the information regarding the beanies for the sailors stuck on board ships that you spoke about recently on your show? I need the mailing address to send a parcel of hats. I'm not always on the ball and often miss where things need to go. I thank you in advance. Um, keep up the good work for the whole community by keeping us all informed. Lots of older people can do this for others. They only need to know who needs. Isn't that nice? Usually I send them all to the local charity shop. I'll share them around this week. Says uh, Olwen. 
Olwen Wheeler from Bundaberg. Uh, that address is uh, Sister Mary is the lady who's doing that for um, mariners from all over. Sister Mary, 6 stroke 31, Biriga Road, that's B-I-R-R-I-G-A, Biriga Road, Bellevue Hill, 2023, 2023, that's in New South Wales. Sister Mary, 6 stroke 31, Biriga Road, Bellevue Hill, New South Wales, 2023. As, Ol- as Olwen says, um, lots of us older people can do this for others. They only need to know who needs. They need to know who needs. Isn't that nice, Kel? I think that's nice. Um, the other thing was, oh, look, I'll take a call and then I'll tell you some more bits and pieces. Uh, 1300 700 two. G'day, this is Macca. Uh, hi, Macca, it's Wayne. G'day, Wayne. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. That's all right. I'm, uh, I'm travelling at the moment from Poon Carey in far western New South Wales to Marimbula. I'm heading home, still on the south coast. Uh-huh. And my wife's um, teaching as a governess on a sheep station at Poon Carey. Right. And, and I've uh, been up there for the last 12 days. I, and then I'm heading home, and then I'll go back again in a month's time and visit her for 12 days. I see. What's that like? I bet that's nice up there at Pooncarry. Oh, yeah, it's been a bit... It's been terrible through the drought, but they have got a, had a bit of rain in the last three months and things are looking a lot better. Um, but, yeah, beautiful and peaceful and been out helping a, a station owner with some goats and and a few other chores around the place. <laughs> We've... We've had a lot of people this morning doing this. Well, not doing the same, but, yeah, getting out there. And, um, yeah, Chris was on his way to Alice Springs. He was just out of Kimber, which was uh, just taking his daughter down to uni in Geelong. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to be out in the road. So what do you do, uh, Wayne? I work, I work at Bega Cheese in Bega. Oh, right. And how's things and, going uh, there? Things are going really well. We're continuing to grow and to buy back Australian companies, which is really good. That's right. Yes, I've been. You know, I read bits and pieces. Yes, yeah, we've got Vegemite and peanut butter now, and um, and we've just bought uh, dairy farmers. Oh, uh, really? Milk. Yep, big oh. M iced coffee. All of that's in Australian owned company now. Isn't that good? Because I can remember twenty years ago on the program here, people were wailing and stuff because Vegemite had gone and undies had gone. You know. Um, what was the the um, swimmers? You know the um, underpants and stuff had all gone overseas. Yes, yeah. but maybe yeah. maybe the worms turning, Wayne. I think so, which is really good. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be involved with an Australian company that's really trying to get the the Australian icons back in Australia. Yeah. Now your wife out there at Pooncarry, she's the governor, so there's there's kids out there. Yeah, she's teaching a family. Um, they're family friends, which we've known for 40 years, fourth generation, and she's teaching their kids. There's four of them. And um, she's got a six-month contract there. And uh, she was hope, uh, getting a feel for the outback teaching. She, she <laughs> works as an early intervention teacher in, in Bega. And um, this opportunity came up with the family that we know. Uh, so she's taken that as a, to see whether she might like it and something in the future we might end up travelling around doing that possibly in the next few years. I often think about teaching, you know, because you just remember what you were like at school and, and then there's little kids around, you know, I see little kids now at school and I just think 
what a tough gig it must be to teach. So maybe is that why your wife maybe got out of the big smoke? Not that big is a big smoke, but it's reasonably big smoke. Um, uh, that'd be completely different working at Poon Kerry. Completely different, yeah. And she's she's really enjoying it. She's only been there since the start of the year, um, but she's loving it. Like we live we live on the coast and we can see the sea from our house. And Twin Kerry is certainly a different, different place to that. Um, but it's got its own beauty as well. So you get up in the morning, there's not a not a noise, only the birds. That's all you can hear. Um, they've, they've got uh, 75,000 acres where she is, where she's teaching. And um, it's, a, it's a different world. And they do it tough out there, I tell you. Oh, I'll say, I'll say. You're a long way from anywhere and, and you've got to get used to that. But it's a state of, like everything, it's a state of mind, I suppose, even if you're in, you know, living on a highway with cars beeping and, you know, noise and stuff, you you just got to, yeah, you get used to it. But you you got to, it's a state of mind, isn't it, really? It is, yeah. And and the good thing is she wanted to see whether she'd, in, whether she'd enjoy the isolation and us being separated for a month at a time. Um, but at the moment, she's really enjoying it, which is good. So, because uh, I work four days on, four days off uh-huh. in my job. Uh-huh. So, once a month, I take four days annual leave, and it gives me 12 days off and a chance to go and visit her, which is good. Yeah, up to Poon Kerry, I'd like that. I don't think I've been to Poon Kerry, but it's it's a great name. You could you could make a song about Poon Kerry, I'm sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's a good it's a good name. I'll work on it. Wayne, you know, there's uh, only 21 got... population in the town, right? So it's a pretty, pretty small town, but they've got a, a pub and a service station and a, a small school. Are you um, like? Not far, not far from Menindee. Do you like working with goats, uh, Wayne? Beg your pardon? I said, did you like working with the goats? Did you say you were helping the owner with the goats? Yeah, I, I helped him load some goats. And and the goats have really got them through the drought. Yeah. You know, the they're wild feral goats. Yeah. And he rounds them up on a four-wheel motorbike and... And I think we loaded 420 the day that I was out there with him. Mm-hmm. And that's been able to get them through the drought, that's for sure, because they've had to reduce their sheep numbers because they had no feed. And um, the goats have been a saviour for them, that's for sure. I suppose, speaking of goats, I spoke to a dentist um, out in Cobar about eight years ago, I think, and um, she said to me, she said, I said, what's it like being a dentist in Cobar? Because she'd come from the big smoke. And she said... Oh, it's good. She says, it's just different, just different, you know. People come in and they've, uh, you know, and, and I say, what's wrong? And they say, oh, I've just been head-butted by a goat and I've lost my front teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've lost yeah. my front teeth. <laughs> yeah. So I'm about, uh, I've just left Euston in New South Wales and heading towards Belt and then across the High Plains. Good on you, Wayne. Great to talk to you, mate. No worries, Maka. I'll, Have uh, a good day. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Good morning, Macca. Fabian speaking from Kettering in uh, Tasmania. Oh, good day, Fabian. How are you? How are you? I talk to you. Well... I talk to you once every five years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'm just uh, down at Kettering uh, because I'm going to take the boat with a couple of mates away for a few days down the channel. But uh, I'm standing here on the bow, and it's uh, it's about twelve degrees. The water is like the the top of a finely polished stone grand piano. It's just so smooth and so still. And as I stand here and look over my left shoulder, I've got a full moon, which is about to just sneak down behind the snug hills. I look over my right shoulder, and I've got the pink hue of the sun coming 
just about to come up over Bruny Island in probably uh, about another five minutes. And uh, I don't, I, I don't uh, think I know. Yeah, I don't think I needed this. I mean, you blokes, here's Chris going on. He's out in the Alice and out in the middle of Australia, and then now you're telling me how wonderful it is, and I'm stuck here in this joint, um, in, this, <laughs> in this little room um, with the in the out-of-control room looking at me. Fabian, just keep still because it sometimes drops out. Fabian, so whereabouts is your – you're in, on your boat now. Yeah, I'm you, on my boat at Kettering, which is uh, where the ferry leaves uh, – go over to uh, Bruny Island uh-huh. come south from Hobart and uh, uh, catch the ferry from here and there's a marina here and I'm just on my boat getting it ready and uh, as I say a few mates and I will then head south and we'll uh, go past such places as Missionary Bay and we'll hopefully we'll end up at either Tinpot Bay or, or north or south Tinpot or Diddy Beach which is the beach <laughs> where they used to take the boat uh, to uh, Build the lighthouse on South Bruny, so we'll we'll head down there. Um, Fabian, I know that you're a you're a sometime. I'm not sure if you're still a, a lawyer. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a barrister. Yes, yeah, barrister. Yes. And look, I was thinking there's a. I don't know if it's been broadcast right around Australia, but there's a case here where um, a lady's been allegedly accused of embezzling ten to twenty million dollars, and and now they, they think they've found parts of a body on various beaches down the south coast of New South Wales. So she disappeared, and they were looking for her, and and um, and then uh, and it may be that she committed suicide or whatever. But I just wondered what what sort of a sentence would you be likely to get if you were embezzling, say, ten million dollars or something? If you're found guilty, so you went to court and all that sort of stuff. I would have thought you'd get about ten, maybe twelve years. You certainly wouldn't get life or anything, would you? Oh no, 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 uh, no. Uh, do I just tell me this, Maggie? Do I put the clock on now so I can pay for the fuel uh, to the ABC? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah, put the clock on. We've got heaps of dough here, mate. Yeah. Put the clock on. No, I was just interested, that's all, because I wondered, you know, I thought, well, she, if she did commit suicide, she didn't want to face the music, but I would have thought you'd only get 10 years, maybe, or 12 years for something like that. Um, Although, you know, sometimes you don't even get that for murder, depending on the circumstances, of course. But um, I don't know what you'd get for embezzling. Obviously, there, yeah, obviously there are a lot of factors, and the, the judge who, who may have heard the proceedings would have to take all those into account. Uh, and uh, he has a, he has a, a discretion. Uh, it's interesting when they usually talk about these cases, the reporters only saying there's a, you know, a maximum jail sentence of X years instead of saying, well, the range is between X and Y, you uh-huh. know, down to the bottom. And that's why when uh, perhaps a lesser penalty is given, people say, oh, they only got that. I thought it was X. And so, yeah, uh, yeah that's, uh, that's, a, that's a bit interesting. But that, but that, should, that should put about 1,000 litres in the, in the fuel tank. <laughs> yeah, send us the bill, mate. We'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put that in someone's in-tray and, um, yeah, <laughs> it'll stay there. <laughs> For action, we'll put it in the for action file. Yeah, um, Fabian, you're still enjoying um, sailing in your boat. Sounds like it's a lovely thing to do. Ah, uh, it is, Macca. You know, as I say, I live in Melbourne, uh, but we come down here. Uh, haven't been able to get down here much during uh, the COVID times. This is about the second time in the last twelve months, and so I have missed the boat. But it's uh, it's just uh, the complete opposite uh, from what you do every day of the week uh, in court and. Uh, uh, handling matters and to just get away on the boat and wake up on a morning like this morning and have a couple of moons. As I say, have the, have the moon sinking below there and the sun coming up and the, the water 
stuck to them and we'll, we will head off on a, on a still still water and just cruise south, have a nice cup of tea with perhaps a little bit of um, fortifier in it on the way down uh, to uh, to keep us going. And then we'll get down there, have a dance, see if we can get a few abs. Uh, and oh, lots. dear. All right, Fabian. Uh, by the way, did you just did you turn the meter off when you were telling me that? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I forgot. That's one of the troubles with lawyers. We always forget to turn it off. Good on you, Fabian. We'll cut, we'll get together this year. Let's try and get together in Melbourne this year. We'll we'll check each other out. Okay. Okay, Macca. Have a good day. Good on you, mate. Bye. Bye. Tom's in Corowa. Good morning, Tom. G'day, Macca. How are you going this morning? Yeah, good, mate. Good. That's the ticket. What's happening? What are you doing? Uh, mate, I'm just in the truck this morning. I, um, I own a fertiliser truck and I'm just going out to uh, spread some lime today for some local farmers. Some lime. And what does mm-hmm. lime do for the uh, 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 whatever you're putting it on? Yeah, so we're just putting it out um, before the cropping season. That's not too, uh, it's, yeah, not too far away, soon approaching. Um, and lime, what it does is raises the pH of the soil to a more desirable point where the plant um, will will grow and function better under those conditions once the lime's applied. Uh huh. Now, Tom, what do you, you is this what you do? You got a place or you? Uh, I don't, I don't Macker. I'd describe myself uh, um, as uh, a frustrated wannabe farmer. Um, I grew up in the the Southern Riverina um, with a with an association with farming through the family, but. Um, it, uh, it it went to other members of the family, and so yeah. Ever since I've I've always worked in the agricultural industry, um, studied in the agricultural industry, and yeah, just trying to make my own way and hopefully get a place at some stage. Yeah, I sometimes think of that. I sometimes think of what if I'd have <laughs> what if I'd have become a farmer. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a farmer. I thought I know I'm going to be a farmer because I used to go to my uncle's place, and I thought, oh, this is all right. Use rabbits and kangaroos and stuff. And... <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. Well, that's here. the exact that's the exact story I've got, Macca. That's where I learned it all on my uncle's place, and um, yeah, never never shook the uh, the desire to to be a farmer. So yeah, once it's in the blood, it's in the blood. I think. Yeah. Now you're down at Corowa. Now I was up at Yeovil the other day, which is sort of central western New South Wales around that's Orange. Right. And my correspondent on the Darling Downs late last year, she said, Ian. Um, there's a bit of a mice plague on around here and they've got one around Yeovil and, you know, Canamble and places like that and, and also a bit of a locust plague. Are you expecting the worst down there? I mean, you're a fair way from that, but it's been a... We are, Macca. I don't know that you'd say expecting the worst, but I think everyone's certainly got it in the back of their minds and uh, doing a little bit of preparation towards it. I think the last one we saw was in 2011 and that caused, um, you know, a lot of crops to be... Eaten out and then re-sown. Um, yeah, it's certainly it certainly hasn't reached us yet, um, but uh, people are certainly preparing for it. Because um, yeah, you would have you ready. would you would have had a good season down there, so there'd be bits and pieces around for them to eat, wouldn't there? That's exactly right, Mac. Yeah, it was an incredible season last year. Um, I probably bucked the trend uh, to your listeners. I'm only 32 <laughs> years old, but to um, put it in perspective, since the age of about five. Um, John Williamson's been my favourite musician and I've listened to you on Sunday morning so um, maybe that tells you that I'm an, an old soul and a young body but, um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people uh, last year um, were saying, you know, a lot of guys up to the age of 70 or 80 were saying that last season was the best year they'd ever uh, ever experienced in, a life, in their lifetime so incredible season last year and you're dead right, which has left a lot of, uh, a lot of grain and uh, other things on the ground that the uh, mice are certainly... Uh, yeah, out and about trying to eat. Now, Tom, tell me this: with your lime, do you have you got a mm-hmm. spreader on your truck, like um, 
Mr Finneymore had uh, when he first started off, or do you stand on the back of the truck with bags and empty them as you're going along, at, you know, <laughs> five k's an hour? I think my grandfather would have done that, but we've um, we've moved on slightly since that. Um, Mac, I, I do have a truck. Uh, so I've got a yeah a, 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 um, a what they call an MAN truck, um, and it's got a spreader mounted to the back of it, um, and we can load it up with about between eight and eleven ton of lime um, at a time, and then go and spread that. So yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, because I remember I was in Melbourne. I think at the Melbourne show, and it must have been twenty years ago, probably twenty five years ago, and I was a young bloke, and I met this old older bloke there, and we we got to talking as you do, and he said. Uh, and he told me about doing fertilising and how he, he'd put the truck or the ute in gear and he'd stand on the back and he'd empty these bags. Um, <laughs> he'd pick up these bags and put, slip the, slit the top and then he'd shake, shake them out as it just rumbled along, you know, and he told me this story. <laughs> And he said, he said, and I was fit. He says, I was fit. He said, I was 110, I was 110% fit. He said, see that building there? He says, I could jump over that building. He said, I was so fit. Um, for He said, I worked on this place for about eight months. And um, and I've never forgot that. So when you said you were spreading fertiliser, I just immediately assumed you'd be standing in the back of the ute emptying the... Emptying the bags. <laughs> well, I think we've moved on slightly since that Mac of it. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm probably nowhere near as fit as that bloke either. No, there's something about being fit. I've never been really fit, but when you hear people who are really, you know, really fit, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a different plane you're on, I reckon. When oh, you... absolutely it is. Yeah. Tommy, um, I'll come and help you sometime. Um, that's where you are this morning at Corowa, but you move, yeah, that's move right. around a bit. Yeah, so, yeah, so based out of Albury, and I travel in about oh, probably 100 to 150k radius out of Albury, um, spreading fertiliser. And then when the fertiliser season's uh, not busy, I, um, I lease some country and adjust some stock on different places and, and also just do general farm work, whether it be from um, machinery operation to stock work. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I just, I love what I do, Macker. I love farming, and um, yeah, well, you'll catch me somewhere, somewhere doing something related to farming at some stage. Yeah, well, maybe you and I can go into business, and we could just sort of buy a farm together, and I'll, I could, I could be, um, you could do the work, and I could sort of be in charge of, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. You, you can be the bankroller. <laughs> no, that'd be great, Macker. That, no. that sounds sensational. I was, yeah, no, I just, I thought I could do something like advice. Um, yeah, yeah no, that'd be fine. Yeah, you could hire me as a consultant or something like that. <laughs> I'd be good at that. Um, till you the... can be the cheap, cheap fertilizer spreader off the back of the year. <laughs> good on you, Tommy. Good luck, mate. Good. Thanks, mate. I'll talk to you shortly. See bye. you, mate. Bye. Hi, Maka Nari here. Hi, Nari. Um, yeah, I, I want to tell you about a um. Our, I, I'm an artist living up on the banks of the Snowy River. Mm-hmm. And, um, yep. Dude, it's nervous. It's nervous talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be, um, don't be nervous at all. Just <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah. Um. Uh. Our, our um. I'm a member of the Wilderness Coast Artists, and um, we've got an exhibition down in Melbourne now. Another friend and myself. We took all, all the paintings down 400 k's away to Melbourne, and yeah, the exhibition is on now. Uh, where and, whereabouts? Um, oh, in Camberwell at the Anger uh, Agri Galleries, mm. and um, yeah, it, um, it was take, meant to take place last July, but because of COVID, 
um, you know, we, we couldn't do it and it's been on again, off again. And with the shutdown last week or a few weeks ago, we thought we wouldn't be able to have it again, but it's, it's on now. It's actually on now and it'll be on until the 7th of March. We've got to meet the artist's day and that's, that's the last day of the exhibition. But because of all the papers and things closing down, it's, it's hard to advertise. So I thought, well, yeah, ring Macca. Ring Macca, that's right. <laughs> exactly. and, um, so where's it on? It's at Camberwell. Camberwell um, Agri Galleries. Agri Galleries. Near, yeah, behind the big Shire buildings. Oh. And um, yeah, and there's a lot of our members have never exhibited or, you know, we just meet regularly by the banks of the. Snowy River, where oh. the Snowy River meets the sea, it's a beautiful spot. Oh, and, but it um, is. And and yeah. well, I've been dabbling this one because in our all over news, we've got, we'll talk a little bit about modern art. Are you a modern artist, or a realist, or a, <laughs> or a naive artist, or what? What are you? What are you how do you describe uh, yourself, Dory? A realist impressionist. I, I love to paint horses, but I give them a lot of movement. You, you can recognise my art, but it's a bit. Um, it's not real realist, but it's recognizable and I've just lately I've been I love to paint horses but I just lately because of, you know everywhere's been ravaged by drought and fires and mm. floods maybe we, we get a flood down here because of the the snowy river blocks up the the mouth of the snowy river closes and it, so it floods all the lower snowy farmlands and uh-huh. because the f- farmers aren't happy about that, and when it's opened, it's got to be, you know, mechanically opened by a big excavator, and and um, so yeah. I, I just paint what's going on around me, you know, fires, floods, drought, and cows. I live on a dairy farm, so uh-huh. and um, but well, all our other members, they 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 paint anything and everything, but it's it's recognisable. Yeah, and and uh, as I said, have a listen to the the uh, all over news when it's coming up in a, in a little while. There's a bloke there who's a who's an artist of sorts. He's a, he can draw, and and I'm always fascinated by people who can draw because I can't draw for nothing. Um, and uh, yeah, you've got you can either do it. You just knew Nari, did you, that you could paint or draw when you at some oh, early well, age, I suppose. Well, I've loved it all my life. You know, it's um, I've just just I don't care if it's good or bad. But lately, my work's been selling, so that's. It's good. I've improved in my old age, obviously, but um, so this, uh, no, I I just love doing it. I don't yeah. care. I just do it. So this uh, um, this exhibition's on at Campbell Agri Galleries, um, and from when to where? Um, it's it's open today on Sunday afternoon, yeah, and then from Wednesday until Friday, it's open each day from. 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. T- till the 7th of March, is that right? Yes, yes. And we've All got right. Meet meet the Artist Day and Colin Johnson, artist, scholar and true teacher, he'll be there to meet the artists. He's been the mentor t- to this group for over, oh, well over 20 years and he's going to be there too to, to um, yeah. for the last day. Well, I'm sure it's lovely and... And there's something about a nice. I'm not a big postmodernist fan at all. Um, I like something that's um, calm and restful and um, makes your life peaceful. And that's what uh, art of all sorts does, doesn't it? Whether it's impressionist well, or whatever. Well, yeah, and there's plenty of that out there. There's a few of us that are a little bit on the heading for the more 
a little bit of modern and abstract, but yeah. it's still recognisable. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, that's at uh, Campbell Agri Galleries. Good on you, um, Nairi. I'll see you at Orbus sometime on the on the bank. Yeah, I'd love to. I don't think you've ever been up here. I don't and, think I have, actually. And I, from the Marlow pub, you've got the most beautiful view looking over the estuary and beautiful we'll be, sunset. I'll be there, Nori. <laughs> Good on you. Nice to talk to you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Scott's on the line again. Good morning, Scott. How are you, Macca? Good. I'm still here. Yeah. Now, you're on your way from uh, from Shoreham. Um, you you adopted a couple of foster kids and you said it's been a great rewarding experience but i i wondered if it's not is it for everyone you've got to be special people i'd reckon especially if you've got your own kids and grandkids you've got enough to do especially when you're 70 i think the the main thing is to make sure that, that your family actually is along for the ride as well mm. or along for the challenge and uh, our grandchildren all said yes uh, they would would agree and that they would uh, would be okay with it and uh, in fact it's been more than okay the, the our foster kids and uh, our grandchildren have got on exceptionally well and uh, enjoyed getting up to some various bits of mischief together yeah and I, I you know as you said i think that's just so important isn't it i mean you can't really when you if you start to look after a grandkid yourself and his four or five or six or whatever or two of them you just you nearly go spare, but if you've got other kids around, how old are your, your grandkids? Are they about 10, 12, 15, are they? Something like that? Uh, the eldest is uh, 19. Yeah. And um, in fact, um, uh, the eldest and, uh, and Alexi, the, grand, the, the foster son, have uh, definitely enjoyed getting up to some mischief, like mm. uh, swimming the bribery passage up in Caloundra. Wow. Uh, when, when maybe uh, uh, they weren't exactly equipped swimming wise to do it but uh, at the end of it they made it and they had a very very good story to tell now scott i i suppose too there's a lot of sadness there isn't it and it's terrible to see kids without one parent or two i i mean i you know i i grew up with both parents um and without a parent i mean i just don't know but there, is there a lot of need out there and is it hard to foster kids is that a hard process at this stage, Anthony Care are really finding it tough to uh, to get fosters parents for teenagers. And uh, you can remember when you were a teenager, you, maybe you were, were, were a straight line teenager and were, uh, didn't get up to any mischief. Oh, I, was and, uh, I was a wonderful kid. Yeah, go on. <laughs> but um, uh, with with kids with troubled backgrounds, it is it is really difficult for them to actually see where they fit in in life. And uh, really for someone to, to love them and care for them and be interested in them can help them uh, really set a path for life and not a path for, uh, for uh, getting off on the wrong track into drugs and in, into things that put them in jail. So it is a challenge. But when, when your kids, when your foster kids pass certain milestones, the joy that actually comes into your heart is just fantastic. Uh, when Alexi came back and said some big words, it, my wife was just, just so so passionate with uh, with appreciation that he's he's passed this milestone with his reading. It's just fantastic. You said he was dyslexic. He is dyslexic, mm. and uh, and people don't really understand dyslexia. We're just absolutely amazed the ignorance amongst the teaching profession that don't understand dyslexia, which we, comes in just so many forms. We talked to a lady, didn't we, Kel, about um, or some months ago, and she said 
a lot of the people who end up in jail end up in with because they're misunderstood and they're dyslexic and people think they're you know bad people or whatever they're black people dark people she was a doctor and she said and then some of the prisons um population are there because they're dyslexic and um so yeah and she said and, and it's treatable she, she said so there you go exactly now Aerosmith. uh uh, there's an Aerosmith program that, uh, that is run in various schools around the world and uh, Barbara Aerosmith uh, uh, was dyslexic herself and uh, 30 years ago she developed uh, uh, brain training for herself which she's developed into mm. uh, uh, actual education and uh, Lexi's had two years of that which is fantastic. Well, Scotty, more power to you and your wife. And I think you're right. I, 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 if you're surrounded, I reckon, by five or ten grandkids who can help you, you need all your help you get. I mean, I've, I've had some time with these little kids that are nine and ten. It nearly, nearly kills me, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just, um, so, yeah, if you've got the help of your grandkids, which sounds wonderful, um, yeah, share the load, spread the stress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, Mac, I've loved your show and I've wanted to get onto it. Uh, many times before, but haven't plucked up the courage. But today it happened. More power to you, Scott, and your wife. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of kids out there, lots of people. You know, there's lots of things in need, lots of things need to be done. If people are sitting on their – and I don't mean to take on foster kids, but there's always lots of things to be done in life to make the whole place a better joint. Um, you know, you can't sit around and say, oh, well, I've done that. You know, everything's fine. You can always do something, little things or big things. Scotty, good on you, Thank mate. Thanks. Thanks, Maker. Hello, Maka. This is Margaret from Ballarat. G'day, Margaret. Um, I just wanted to tell you, you, you mentioned Melva Henry before. Melva Henry. Yes. She yeah. lived in Toronto. All right. Yes, yes. Melva, oh, Melva's, I... Melva's turning 108 on the 1st of June this year. She's not. She is. Isn't that a, now, isn't that funny... Because I played a little grab of her this morning. Um, cause yes, I, and I just caught the last bit and I caught you saying, Melba says hoo-hoo. Yeah, it was lovely. Listen, I'll play, because I got it here, because I, I, I go through my old stuff because it's really, really nice. And, and I came across Melba. This is Melba. This is what she said to me. Uh, didn't I meet you somewhere, Melba? Uh, not sure, but uh, I'd love to meet you again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, and happy Valentine's Day, Melba. <laughs> Same to you, mate. Bye. Bye. Well, it must have been Valentine's Day years ago, um, but I remember yeah. I met I met her up. But I went to see her specifically, and I think she was a hundred and one at the time. But that was, yes, I think you went to the yacht club. To that's see that's right, and and she was in there. We walk in. Uh, I was with Lee Lee Kelly, and we walked in, and here she is playing Scrabble with with yeah. a with a, a a few other ladies. I oh, know that's what she's always done. Is, but isn't it isn't it lovely? She said, oh, "I'd love to meet you at Whoop Whoop." <laughs> I just, oh, she's just the most wonderful person. Yeah, and she's still yeah. alive at one hundred and eight yeah. or one hundred and eight yeah. in June. One hundred and eight in June, she is. Lee. Her eyesight is is failing, and um, they've had a few scares, but she rallies around. Oh, what a marvellous woman. And see, I don't know, that little grab I played, I'll play it again. So I just think it's fabulous. Didn't I meet you somewhere, Melba? Uh, not sure, but uh, I'd love to meet you again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, and happy Valentine's Day, Melba. <laughs> Same to you, mate. Bye. Bye.
Same to you, mate, Haru. Isn't she lovely? Um, but that, She's beautiful. When I recorded that, that was that must have been well before that time I met her when she was 101. Um, well, I think so, yeah. Um, I'd love to meet you at Whoop Whoop. <laughs> she always, she always listens to you. And, and people don't talk like that anymore, Mark, do they? They don't say Haru. No, they don't. Don't say Haru. I mean, Haru's no, a ripper. don't say Haru. Well, we do because it's Melba's word. Yeah. <laughs> So how did you yeah. meet Melva, Mark? My my daughter lived next door to her in, in Toronto. In, in Toronto, but you're yeah. in Ballarat. Well, we weren't there. We were in Victoria, but we used to go and visit to see our family and that. And she was always there. Isn't she lovely? In the garden. In her garden. Yes. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, she, apparently, she. I just um, spoke to her daughter-in-law quickly before you. Rang and she said she still wants to do the garden. She wants to plant some carrots. Oh, what a lo- what a yeah. love! And see, that's what I love about this program, Margaret. Is the, is you meet wonderful like you and and Melva, and the and the place is full of them, full of lovely people, who get on with it and tell you about just ordinary things and their most extraordinary things. And that's right. And, and yeah, I don't know. Right. Uh, and I sometimes wonder why people say they enjoy the program. And I was talking to my sister last night, and I was talking about the bloke who, who gave away, who gave away um, art because of you know postmodernism pu- pushed him out. And she said, yeah. "That's they're the sort of stories that you need to hear from from this bloke who's just out on a on a sheep station, eighty miles from nowhere, and he, yet he's the most talented bloke, and he's." And he's just got a, a story to die for, if you know what I mean. It, it's a story that enriches all of us, you know. And it certainly That's enriches right, me, yeah. and, I, and I hope it enriches others. And when I, when I was just, we were listening. Actually, it might have been in '95 because I was going through um, the '95 uh, archives and looking for things, and I came across Melva saying, you know, Huru, I'd like to meet you in Whoop Whoop. <laughs> and I think it's just so lovely. I mean. The the place has moved on. Of course, we're in a different time now, but it's really nice to hear that older older Australian the way we used to talk. And and yeah. may, may it never end. And may people continue to say huru and whoop whoop. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they need to know about. It. You need to go to a little primary school and say, look, and I say, where do you come from, Mister Santa? So I come from whoop whoop. And somebody, somebody might pick it. Somebody might pick it up and and use it again sometime. Because um. I think they're they're they little Australian you know, um, treasures, if you like, Margaret. Oh, she's a treasure, all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. How's, yeah. how's things in Ballarat? Oh, yes. It's a nice day. The sun's out. It's lovely. Hmm. Well, well, thanks for reminding me. That's all right. I had to let you know. Yes, and giving me an opportunity to play, replay Melva again. But uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say hooroo, Marg. Okay, hooroo. <laughs> Good Thanks, on you. Maka. See ya. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Maka. Hello, Maka. This is Bob from Albury. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Bob. Uh, just letting you know and your listeners, this today, well, tonight at approximately midnight is the 79th anniversary of HMAS Perth. And one of our big uh, cruisers during the war was sunk in the Battle of the Sun- uh, Sunder Straits. Oh, yes. At uh, Java. Well, my father was on that ship. He was a range finder, which is uh, sitting up like a cocky in a perch just above the uh, bridge. And mm. he, he was, there were 350 blokes went down with the Perth. Uh, 
couple of hundred or a few more uh, survived and eventually we became prisoners of the Japanese and half of them got back and uh, well there's none left at the at the moment well at the moment there's none left now no and um but my uh, during the war if anybody on a ship or any serviceman wrote a letter back home to their wife or girlfriend or family was heavily censored as you can imagine yep but nobody wanted uh, anyone uh, to get uh, those letters fall in the different hands so um, but mum and uh, my father had a code mum was a, a family one of a family of eight three other sisters and four brothers and each one of them had a name like Bert might be Bert was Indonesia Stan would have been South America Mavis would have been India Nelly would have been Africa and during the letters uh, dad would say how's Nelly give her give her my very best and and also very soon give her my uh, give her best to uh, Mavis or Bertie or whoever it was and each one had a code, so mum knew where the ship was, approximately. So it was a sort of a code that no one will know how to break. Anyway. <laughs> Ima- <laughs> imagine having to do that, sit down and read people's letter and go, oh, it's crossed here, crossed that out, oh, crossed that out. Imagine, yeah. imagine having that for a gig, because everybody, I assume every soldier would write home because you get yeah. lonely and whatever, and, and then yeah. they'd get the letters. and they'd, Imagine having that job, mate. I mean, wouldn't that be a bugger? Oh, pardon me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But was ways around it and I remember the telegram boy coming to the door in 1942 um, in, uh, to say that uh, we lived in 25 Home Street, Kingsford. As a telegram broke, I gave the telegram. We were living with my auntie then, whose father, my, whose uh, husband, my father's brother-in-law, was also in the Navy to let them know that Dad had perished. So... They didn't know whether he was dead or alive. He just listed as missing. Dear, oh dear. So, yes. Funny, in those days, all those old places in Sydney, I went to Paddo Tech and we lived at uh, Moor Park Road Paddington, opposite the cricket ground or sports ground there. Centennial Park. So, yes, about approximately midnight tonight, uh, went down with a big Yankee cruiser to Houston and... Well, your dad would have known, your dad would have known Ray Parkin, then he was a midshipman he on did. and and yeah. yeah and have you read that book the trilogy yes, that, I have. yeah that's amazing yes. and they're in the water I don't know how it's like I I, uh, I saw that film the other day about the, the what was it called the mini USS um, Minneapolis or Indian, oh, yeah. Indianapolis how they were all pitched yeah. into the sea and they survived and there's sharks around they're in the water for oh. days and days oh, and, and same with the blokes on the um, you know, we think we've got a tough, you know, and 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 Kevin Butler asked the other day how they how they survive, how they got through the sh- yeah. people just do, don't they? They just I don't, I don't know how oh. I'd survive in the water for days. I just no. I, I don't think I'd, I'd be no. making it, Bob. And funnily enough, when oh, funnily enough, when the Perth went down, there wasn't any worry about the sharks. But when they got closer to the shores, where all the noise of battle and all that had gone. That's when the sharks came into uh, play. That quite a few blokes were taken by them, and I don't know who was worse, the Japanese or the sharks, probably. Yeah, but anyway. Good yeah, on you, Bobby. Where are you? I'm in Albury. You're in Albury. There you yeah, go. I'll be up at Garden Island Chapel there next year for the 80th anniversary. So anyway. How long have you lived in Albury, Bob? Oh, on and off. We've been back here again now 12 years, but before that about 
probably 20 years. Uh, and why did you move to Albury? Oh, we just went up to Queanbeyan. We had friends moved up there and uh, and we went up and stayed up there near Canberra for quite a time and then decided we'd come back down closer to family, back to Albury. There you go. All right, Bob, good on you. Thanks for reminding okay. people about that. It's a great good story. Thanks, Maka. Thanks, mate. Hello, it's Chris from Lavers Hill. Oh, g'day, Chris. Where's Lavers Hill? It's down on the Great Ocean Road. Tell us a story. Um, just you mentioned before about dyslexia. Mm. I, I've been on holiday in New Zealand, and in Christchurch they have the office of the Dyslexia Association. It's a lovely little uh, terrace house, and there's a courtyard out the front that's become a public park. And they've got two sculptures. Uh, they've got a sculpture there which is text as it's seen by dyslexics. So it's like a big steel ribbon that winds its way through the garden. Wow. And it tells us tells a story, but the letters are tumbling over each other in the confusing way that dyslexics may see text. But the better part is there's also a row of seats. When you sit on one of the seats, it triggers a little switch and it tells you a story of a famous New Zealander. And there's four different stories to, for the four different seats. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. It's, and how... It's a very moving place to sit and just sort of re- see, see things from another person's perspective. And um, what's it called again? The, the New Zealand Dyslexia Association. And it's their grounds and office? Yeah, it's just in the main street in Christchurch. <sighs> Chris, um, nice to talk. What are you doing this morning? Um, just um, getting ready to go and do a bit of gardening. It's a beautiful day down here today. At um, Labor's Hill, which are on, At Labor's the, Hill. on the Great Ocean yeah, Road. The, the part of the Great Ocean Road that's not on the ocean. We're up in the hills. <laughs> Good on you, Chris. Thanks for letting us Thanks. know about that. Thanks, Maka. Lovely story. Bye. Ta-da. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.